the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond of the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. We've got a full house today. Tom's here. What's up? Jeff's here. Hey. Angus came over from Starville. We had a meeting over lunch. Angus, I think this is, I think you're the last person to make a podcast appearance this year. What's up with that? Well, I just hadn't been over here very much. I figured Don and Whitney and Jeff could handle it. Have they handled it? I haven't even listened to a podcast this year, to be honest. Thank you. Thank you for the vote of confidence. <laughs> well, look, so this might really sound odd to y'all, but you know, all of our colleagues put out blurbs on Ag Facts or whatever, Pest Patrol. I never listen or read anybody's stuff. I don't like it to pollute my thought process. <laughs> pollute. <laughs> I like it to all be original thoughts. Not pictured on the video. Doc, <laughs> Dr. Cook. Don has his hat on backwards. And his shades kicked, on top of He's kicked back on the couch. Uh, <laughs> I guess he's waiting, <laughs> waiting to get tagged in. And then Whitney's here as well. Good to see you, Whitney. We may have to do a phone basket for real. I said that before we started, but <laughs> the phones are kind of blowing up now. Uh, so our entomology folks wanted to come on today, and we're going to talk about plant bugs and cotton. So I was sent a picture of Don to uh, – a friend of ours in Louisiana who happens to be a uh, regular listener, a regular listener, and a grade A wrestling fan. So that brings me <laughs> to my question for Angus. <laughs> Angus, if you were a professional wrestler, which in another lifetime could have been a legit <laughs> career path for you, what would have been your finishing move? Uh, probably the uh, DDT or something. Okay, that's what I think. I don't know. I would have said top rope for Angus. <laughs> I, like, was, like, I was too big to come off the top like rope. I couldn't climb it. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, <laughs> top rope. Figure four or something. I don't know. All right. Well. I could just see Angus in a loincloth doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if they had if had all these iPhones back then, maybe you would have. <laughs> from the you turn, never know. From the turnbuckle. <laughs> Jeff, what would Angus's, uh, what, would, what would his wrestling name have been? Hmm. Yeah. Look, that was another That's lifetime. It would be hard right for y'all. Y'all, didn't, right. y'all right. didn't know me in that lifetime. All right, we'll catch Angus's wrestling name <laughs> on the next episode Je- just gonna by, give us some thought by, by the end of the podcast we'll have right. a, okay, a wrestling right, name right. for angus in tom's interest we'll circle back to the circle back to it please to the do. wrestling name fantastic it's july and so it is y'all's time in the sun pardon the pun so what's going on with the plant bugs well that's one of the things that we wanted to talk about that's a pretty timely topic and you know, one of the things, I guess, when we all get up here, entomologists, and, and have these conversations, and, and we always try to frame them um, to the standpoint of it may be geography dependent or location dependent or whatever, and generally they are, because the last thing we want to do is, like, you know, scare a bunch of people when we when we talk about some of this stuff. But, you know, we got some areas in the state right now in the Delta region where people are having a tremendous problem with plant bugs. It's not on every acre that everybody has, but we got some spots that – you know, we might have three or four sprays already on, and we just now are not even into bloom or getting into bloom. 
And we run across this in some years when corn uh, lines up with squaring or whatever, depending on, on where you're at. But we got some spots right now. I've had a lot of calls, talked to a lot of people. Some of my own research, cotton and siding, is experiencing some of the same stuff. Tremendous adult migration on some acres. It's not on every acre, but where it is, it's really tough to deal with because you feel helpless. Yeah, it's been a completely different year this year. I mean, the last... I'd say at least two years, probably three. You know, we've gotten a lot of calls at this time of year, late square, and that people just weren't finding plant birds. That's right. You know, one of our big things that we've always talked about from a plant bug management standpoint is using diamond right before we get into bloom, the third week of square and into bloom. And people have kind of gotten off of that a little bit because plant bug numbers were so low the last couple of years and you know the conversation i've had with a lot of people is if you haven't got your diamond out get it out now that are having these problems so i can think of two years and there's sporadic small spots that you could throw in 2007 was probably the the worst anybody had ever seen in a four county area and washington county was one of them back then I remember a guy telling me, a consultant, said, we got a problem you can't fix with money right now. And he was absolutely right. And it was sort of the perfect storm. You know, we came off over a million acres of cotton, dropped down to 600,000, planted a lot of grain. Well, this year we're, we're well below 500,000 on cotton. So we have less cotton, but it's just surrounded by corn. So we have a lot of edge effects and, you know, a lot coming probably out of corn that is getting brown silk. And along these edges and in some of these spots, these adults may migrate two or three weeks, and trying to control migrating adults is extremely difficult because, you know, I don't care what any sales rep or anybody tells you, there's nothing that has enough residual to keep an influx of adult plant bugs from moving into a field just a few days behind a spray and knocking off more squares. And unfortunately, and I hate to say this, but unfortunately, the only way you get out of this is you kind of got to spray your way out of it until that migration ends and when it does you sort of resume back into a normal you know a normal situation what we call normal in the mississippi delta controlling plant bugs but it's a real tough spot to be in we got guys with three sprays in a 12-day period right now they've tightened their intervals and it's just really tough because they keep coming comment that we always get in those situations is, is the sprays aren't working yeah and then you know we always have to have the conversation with them to go out there and look at square retention, do square retention counts. And in almost every case, their square retention is still really good and in a good spot. So they may or may not be killing plant bugs, but the one thing that they're doing is definitely maintaining good square retention where they need to be. Yeah. So forgive my ignorance, but the insecticide application, you're targeting the adults, right? Right now we are because we have a big influx of adults that are steady moving into these spots. So let's just say, you know, I'm running 10 per 25 sweeps, whatever. So I'm running 10 per 25 sweeps, plant bugs, I spray, I make my loop. Five days later, I'm running 12 per 25 sweeps. A lot of people say, well, whatever I sprayed, you know, it don't matter. You named yeah, the product. It didn't, it didn't work. 
Well, what they don't have the luxury of seeing that we do in these small plots is had you not sprayed, you'd have been running 25 per 25 sweeps. So, no, it worked, but you just got more coming in the field. Nothing will hold them out very long. I mean, we'll get some residual, but it, a migrating adult coming into a field, it may knock off a couple squares before, you know, even if there was still something laying out there from a residual standpoint. There's nothing that will give you the residual on plant bugs like you get with something like yeah. Prevathon or Besiege on bollworms. Right. And I get that. You know, in the springtime, like with a, a dual application over the top. Well, I didn't get any, you know, I only got a week residual out of the dual. But, you know, it depends on, in my case, the time mm-hmm. between the application and when you get an incorporating rainfall. Because, mm-hmm. you know, stuff's going to continue. If there's moisture in that profile, stuff's going to continue to come up until you get a good rain on it. And so this is kind of the, the same thing. If you were standing there every day, mm-hmm. you'd know how well it worked and you just don't have the luxury of standing there the whole time that's right and from a whole field standpoint a lot of this will ease up i mean it's a painful thing to go through for a couple of weeks or so until that kind of that migration quits but against some of these corn edges it could last a lot longer just simply an edge effect it, it could be the same as a tree line but if numbers are high enough in 2007 i remember a buddy of mine he had sprayed some cotton it was right here in stoneville and literally called me. We talked about every application. He had 15 applications, and we still had zero cotton for about 16 rows out next to the corn. Now, that's an exceptional thing. I mean, that's not what you deal with on a normal basis, but we have people dealing with those edge effects right now that they're, they're having trouble. And maybe no matter what they do right there, at least within 12 to 16 rows may not be enough. Yeah, I know one year, it was probably 2009 maybe, Jeff put us on a program because – we didn't have any cotton on like the the first eight nodes. I mean, there yep. was nothing. It was slick. And Jeff put us on a program, and we I don't know if we hit fifteen, but I bet we hit. I got. I bet we got into the teens. I bet it was thirteen or fourteen. Yeah. I just remember Jeff had several treatments listed off, and he said, "Spray through this list, and when you get to the bottom, go back to the top." Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell those kind of stories, James. Well, I, didn't, I didn't say what it was. <laughs> I didn't say what it was. It was all legal. But, but I, I, mean, I mean, you wouldn't have told me to do something illegal, Jeff. Well, but you, you didn't mention that I told you to scout and use <laughs> right, yeah. thresholds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I think Jeff really hit on it, though, a while ago when he said, talking about square attention and you know, when you're in this situation, I give the example about when you come back around for your next visit that your numbers may be as high or higher or right there close to what they were when you originally sprayed. And your first thing that comes to your mind is, man, whatever I used didn't work. And that, that might not necessarily be the case. That square retention will kind of tell you if stuff's working. And you still may, like right next to corn, you still may be losing some squares. But, you know, on a whole field basis, you'll be, you'll be hanging some fruit. It's just a frustrating thing to, to have to deal with. I mean, we talk about right now spraying a lot. And, I mean, there's a lot of times in this situation where I tell people, okay, you're making a spray this week with whatever. Plan on your next check. I mean, go into that field almost planning that you're going to spray and have an idea in mind of what that spray is going to be that you follow up with. And the reason I do that right now, this time of year, is because most of this cotton right now is moving right into flowering. Plant bugs prefer to feed on squares in cotton. I mean, that's if they, if they had their choice, that's what they want. So the square population in that field right now 
is probably higher than it's going to be all year, before now and after now. And so the greatest impact that plant bugs are going to have on yield is going to be that first week or two of flowering. So getting into that point clean is critical to maintaining optimum yield. Something else, too, that people, I guess, need to think about some, and, you know, we always talk about cotton being able to compensate. I talked to a guy the other day. He called a a shot on on some cotton, and and they were waiting on it to dry up. The grower wanted to do it with a ground rig, and it was about 10-node cotton. Had two or three squares on it, and about 10 days later, when it never dried up, when he went back into the field, he was at zero. There was none left. I mean, that's how quick it can go when the numbers are high enough. On average, a, a plant bug, they, you know, if you look at the literature, they'll eat 1.2 or 3 to 2.1 squares per bug per day. If you only got a couple squares on a plant, it can go quick. So being timely is super, super important. If you got a, enough plant bugs in the field and, and your consultant calls a shot and you want it to wait for to dry up, that's not a good idea. I mean, you need to call the airplane. I know you don't want to because you've got a big expensive ground rig that you're used to using and it works well. But if you've got enough plant bugs and there's only a few square positions in the field, it can go quick, and that was a good example. Now, the good news of that is, you know, he's in 10-node cotton, lost all the fruit in, in this field. That may not be as – and, of course, it, it, the cotton's going to be later. It's going to start getting rank. It's going to grow bigger. But there's a ton of times from research plots where we've manually removed squares 100% at various stages. It's not over on that cotton. I mean, it can come back and produce very good yields, normal yields, or even, you know, higher than, you know, just depends on the, the end of the year. You don't like to have to predict that and think about what the, the weather's going to be at harvest. But it's not a loss, but you're starting over. Yeah, we talk about that on here often with cotton just being a, a perennial crop, but then to an indeterminate crop, too, uh, that does have a great ability to compensate. In contrast to something like corn, where, you know, you just got a yeah. very small period that really sets that yield. And then if, if it goes sideways during that, you're over. And rice is the same way. You know, you can really jack up a rice crop if stuff goes wrong at the wrong time. Yeah, and the thing about the compensating, and Angus mentioned that it's going to delay it some. And I think this year it's really important that we try to avoid that delay, even though the cotton can compensate, because we already have gotten delayed some by late planting. It was cool early, and then thrips were just horrible this year, which in a lot of situations those thrips probably didn't hurt yields because we sprayed them, had seed treatments, and took care of them the way we needed to. But they did do enough damage that they probably delayed it already a week or so in a lot of situations. And so any additional delay, you know, we're starting to talk about getting into hurricane season. and Yeah, delays on a, a later planted crop to start with just get amplified. You know, yep. what, what mm-hmm. might have been a a few days on an April planting date turns in, like you said, a week when you get into a late May planting date. Yep. Back to one of the first things that you said about the corn acres. Do we uh, do the plant bugs always kind of track proportional to the corn acres, like high corn acres, high plant bugs, or is, or are there other factors at play too? Well, I, th- I think I think that's a complicated story. I think when you start talking about high 
corn or just grain acres in general or bean acres that means fewer cotton acres the way that always well and that was going to be my next yeah so if you know if if mississippi (laughs) produced 10 gazillion plant bugs on average from stuff other than cotton and you got a million acres of cotton and they spread out across that that's one thing but they spread it out across 300,000 acres you got three times as many plant bugs so i think that has something to do with it as well you got fewer cotton acres that they're being produced in you know in the landscape and moving into so you're already going to have higher numbers but corn you know there's never enough plant bugs in a field of corn to justify the edge effect that you see on corn and this is something we've talked about for years and years we really think that corn is attractive because it puts out massive massive amounts of pollen and it probably brings them into the area maybe some get going in on the tassels and the silks to some degree but then it might be of a, a double and back on the edges and they roll back into the cotton we're not sure exactly what we do know there there's not enough plant bugs in corn to justify what we see next to corn. So it may bring them into the area, then they roll back into the cotton. We're not exactly sure, but corn, they, they're definitely worse around corn. And even sometimes around group four soybeans. Oh, too, absolutely. This year, too. Thing. Yeah, they're absolutely. blooming yep. the, right now and just starting to mm-hmm. get out of bloom right now, a lot of the earlier planted beans. So if a plant bug likes a cotton square, why wouldn't it like a soybean bloom? To a degree, a bloom's a bloom. I mean, I know it's a different plant, but... Well, they they do, but even though group four soybeans are indeterminate, they're still not as indeterminate as cotton is. Okay. So there's going to be a point where that soybean plant starts running out of blooms, and they're going to move out of it, and cotton's still going to be blooming at that time. But we don't consider plant bugs a economic pest of soybean, do we? No, and they don't reproduce really well in soybeans either. Gordon Snodgrass did a lot of that work, and he considered soybeans a moderate reproductive host. If you look back at the literature, there's been a little bit done on yield loss in uh, plant bugs and soybeans, but it takes an average of about seven per individual node to actually cause any reduction in yield. And even when they're at their worst, we've never seen them anything like that. So they're just essentially a non-pest. So do they legs and corn? Yeah, you'll see them on the tassel and you'll see them on the silks. You can commonly find them on the silks of corn. So a lot of people think when corn turns nymphs. So yeah, so they are. But a lot of people think when corn is turning brown, that's when they're moving out. That's not when they're moving out of corn. They're moving out of corn when the silks turn brown. So well before most people think. Anything after that is usually just an edge effect, just like you would see on a wood line or anything else. And this year corn was planted a little later too, so how does that factor into it? Don't look at me. I was wondering, thinking about wrestling names. (laughs) Well, I'm still stuck on the wool At least he's honest. (laughs) And gazillion. Well, I mean, I guess it's, if you think about it, it's just like anything else. If you've got a delayed planting window in anything, where you're talking about bollworms or whatever that come out of corn, it'd be a delayed emergence depending on the age of the corn. So it just it'd depend on how much of a certain age is around you. If there's a bunch of ages of corn around you, what little bit does come out of corn will be a longer period of them coming out. Angus, earlier you mentioned 10 per 25 sweeps. So is that y'all's recommended threshold or is that just an example no no, no I, that was we just a, that was just an example on sweep nets first two weeks of square and it's eight per 
per hundred sweeps. Okay. And the third week of square, and if you're using a sweep net throughout the rest of the season, it goes to 15 or four per 25, however you want to do it. That math don't quite work out on, on sets of 25, but it's 15 per hundred. And if you're using a drop cloth, it's three per drop. And when we say a drop, we're talking about both sides of the row. So five foot a row on a black drop cloth, they're two and a half foot down each side. And once, once we get into bloom, we prefer folks use a drop cloth at that time of the year because they're going to be much better at finding nymphs. Diamond was mentioned earlier. Kind of go through. I know there's a – the way you manage plant bugs, you know, there's a variety and, you know, different sequences and stuff. So just give folks kind of the, the highlights of some of the different options we have for insecticides. i tell you what, Jeff. I'll go through pre-bloom and you take, take post-bloom. Because the yeah. reason I wanted to mention that is, uh, you know, I've been on here before and I'm, I've said it in a bunch of meetings about how I dislike imidacloprid. And we use a lot of imidacloprid. And I do dislike imidacloprid for plant bugs because it's not nearly as good as a lot of other things. And we test it every year, late season, and we don't get great control with it. But I do not, and I've told a lot of people this this year, early season, first week, second week of square and whatever, I, I don't mind imidacloprid. Uh, in that situation because we can hang some fruit with imidacloprid. Where I don't like it is when we get nymphs embedded in the canopy uh, later into bloom, and that's where I don't think it, it really has a, too big of a fit. So I don't have a problem at all using a cheaper product like imidacloprid during the early squaring period, and I've, I've told quite a few people that, that this year. I get a lot of questions about transform, um, especially in the situations that we're talking about now where maybe they've used acephate early or imidacloprid and, they, and they're having to come back for a third time and we haven't even got the bloom and they're thinking, well, if I'd have spent twice as much and used transform, would I be in any better position than I am now? My answer is no, not on migrating adults. You would have still killed, you probably would have killed a few more, but it's not going to be any better on what's coming in right behind it. So on my early season stuff, I tend to like to go a little cheaper until I can figure out how, you know, if I'm going to be in a 3-4 sit- spray situation before I even get into bloom, it don't want to be with a $12 product. I'd rather do it with a 4 or $5 product. So I don't have a problem with any of those used in that window. But um, I don't think that, that just – I think Transform's our best product on the market, hands down. But in that early season window, I don't think you'll see um, – three times the performance out of it for three times the, the price compared to a M to Cloper. Yeah, work it in, but you don't not back to back to back before we even get into to flowering. And the only other thing, Jeff's already said it, when we get to about that third week of squaring, the, the introduction of diamond or somewhere between there and first bloom into the system can have lasting effects. And we got a student about to graduate now, uh, Whitney and I, that, that's worked on looking at diamond in that stage and see if what difference it had on other insecticides down the road because it does have good residual in nymphs. And it really did. It had a pretty big effect. But it had to be, interestingly enough, it had to be mixed with an adulticide. When you looked at it alone, it didn't have nearly the effect it did as when you mixed it with an adulticide like acephate at the third week of square. had a bigger effect going down the road. And we typically do that anyway, but it is something to keep in mind. Yeah, and so once we get into bloom, that's when we really kind of bring out the big guns for managing plant bugs. Angus talked a lot about transform, and really what I like to see is right as we're going into bloom, that third week of squaring that Angus talked about and I talked about earlier is getting the diamond out there mixed with something, regardless of what it is. Usually you want something cheap so you don't have a huge 
insecticide bill at that one application. It's going to be an acephate or even a midocloprid in some situations, but getting that diamond out there. And that's really going to create some other problems. We've seen diamond flare aphids. It's really bad about flaring aphids. So I like to follow that up with at least one application to transform at an ounce and a half. That's kind of going to be, as Angus said, the best product we have on plant bugs, but it's also going to take out the aphids that we might have flared pre-bloom. And then different people have different opinions about what to go with next. You can either do a second application of Transform at an ounce and a half, but I like to rotate it even more. I like to go at that point to acephate bifenthrin, you know, something bifenthrin, bifenthrin, something along those lines, an OP and a pyrethroid, and then come back with Transform again after that. And, you know, that's just my preference. I don't know that one's any better than the other if doing two sequential applications of Transform and then getting into the OP pyrethroid or what. really goes back to what I was saying earlier about those first, really about three weeks of bloom are critical for managing plant bugs. If we do a really good job and keep them out for that first three weeks, then we can kind of back off on what we spend after that point and don't need to use a lot of the more expensive products one thing too let me just add one thing we get this question a lot from from various consultants and others about they say well will it kill a nymph every one of these products that we recommend or in the control guide or we talk about whether it's transform acephate vidate dimethylate bidrin or whatever will kill nymphs and adults now diamond of course is an igr that's completely different that's in a different but when we test these things every year the number one thing we're actually looking at is nymphs yeah if we tell you hey use transform yeah it kills nymphs and adults and all of these products for the most part does of course diamond only controls nymphs but they pretty much equally control nymphs and adults if i remember right what a third instar nymph dies equal to an adult from some of the usda stuff they did all right what's angus's professional wrestling name is this loincloth leopard print or is it just straight black could he be the Angus drop cloth? I mean, only if he comes off the top rope, probably. Does he have a cape? Does he not have a cape? These are the questions that I have. So when my mind started wandering earlier, I started going back to Angus's youth and where he come from. And I come up with the Wiggins wildebeest. <laughs> <laughs> that is strong. So I could, I could picture a leopard print loincloth, Tom, with a name like that. As always, we really appreciate having the entomology crew in here with us. I think this is a super important topic. Thank you all. And as usual, we'd like to thank our regular listeners. Something we enjoy doing, and we certainly hope we're providing some pertinent, up-to-date information this season. Thank you all for what you do. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. 